Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Genesis chapter 40, verse 1, and it says this, It came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king say of the king, of Egypt, offended their Lord, meaning they offended the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. And so he put them into custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them so while they were in custody custody for a while. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison had a dream, both of them. Each man's dream in one night and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph, thank God for the tamakis of the house. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and when they saw when he saw that they were sad, so he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of the Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, We each have had a dream, and there is no one to interpret it. So Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph, and he said to him, Behold, in my dream... There was a vine before me, and in the vine there were three branches, and so it was as it budded. It blossomed and shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. But remember me. Now there's two verses that I want to emphasize. This verse right here. I want you to remember this. Verse 14. Everybody read this together on three. One, two, three. But remember me when it is well with you, and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh, and get me out of this house. I want you to remember that verse. For indeed, I I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews, and also I have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. Verse 16, when the chief baker saw the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also was in my dream, and there were three white baskets on my head, and the utmost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. And so Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are also three days. Within the three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree 
and the birds will eat your flesh from you. And now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. That's the second verse. That's the other reason why I'm here. So I want to emphasize these two verses, and I'm going to have you sit down. Are you ready? Verse 14 says, But remember me when it is well with you, and please show kindness to me and make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. And then the last verse, it says, Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And there's one last verse in chapter 41, verse 1. It says this, Then it came to pass at the end of two full years. Everybody say two full years. Two full years, two more years, Joseph was in prison. That Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by a river. You may have your seats. I'm really, I'm truly excited about this. Um, I, want, I want to give, how many have been enjoying this? I don't want to call it a series. I don't feel that this is something I've personally developed, uh, although God has just been dropping things in my heart. I, re- I really feel that this is where we are symbolically in the body of Christ as it relates to our relationship with God. I feel that we're in a time and season where what God used to put up with he's not putting up with in the body any longer. Okay, grace, you know what grace is? Grace is really, many people, that's exactly what it is. It is strength or power to do what God's truth requires. I oftentimes miss, I hear people miss, um, they, they use the wrong words for grace. Like they'll say, they'll mingle grace and mercy. Now, mercy is when God allows you to do something and doesn't give you the judgment that you deserve. But grace is something altogether different. Grace is the empowerment to do what God is calling you to do. Because you can't accomplish... You know, you know how, many big, how many callings are in this room? I mean, the Bible says many are called. That means about 99% of you guys have a divine calling. I would say 100% of you guys have a calling of God on your life, but there is a reason why most people don't accomplish the will of God in their life. And it's not because God doesn't have mercy on people. He has mercy on everybody. You know how I know? That right there, you guys in the back left can't see this, back right cannot see this. There's a cross here. That spells mercy. That's mercy. But grace is altogether different. Grace is given in doses. Grace is spoon-fed. You want to know how I know that? So, so why doesn't God give me grace to accomplish certain things? He who is faithful with little doses. He'll give a little dose, a little dose, a little dose. Because he knows that if he gives you too much power or too much grace out of the gate, you will ruin where, he wants, where he's calling you if he just expedites you and put you in the middle of the calling. But he'll test you. I'll give you a little grace to say no to that. 
I'll give you a little bit more grace. I'll give you a little bit more power. I'll give you a little bit more money. I'll let you get married. I'll let you do all these things. And if you're not faithful with the little, he won't give you much because many people are called, but few are chosen because they, what they do with the little grace that they've been given. Many people are given a little bit of grace and then misrepresent Christ. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying this morning? God gives grace in little small doses. And Joseph is a picture of God's process of what, you're, what will you do with a little bit of grace. Now, we read Absalom. How many remember that story of Absalom? Absalom is David's what? Son. And guess what Absalom did? Absalom, there's two contrasting stories. And we're ministering a message this morning entitled, entitled What Keeps You From the Courts. So if there, do you know what I mean by keep, what keeps you from the courts? What keeps you from being in the middle of the will of God and getting you close to Jesus? That's what I mean. You do know there's levels in your relationship with the Lord, right? Like we got salvation, we got sanctification, you got outer court, inner court. Can you put, are we able to put this up on the screen? This sums it up. This old picture right here, funny picture. I drew it. No, I didn't draw I didn't draw it. This really sums up what most people's relationship with God looks like. Unfortunately, many people have what we call an outer court experience. And they just start here in salvation. I would say at least 70% of Christians stop at the cross. This represents salvation. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? Most people stop there because going here costs way too much. Because this right here requires that you let go of certain things. I'm not talking about duties. Listen, as much as I love all of you guys, more than likely 99.9% of you will never come into my master suite bedroom. Never. Not because I don't love you guys. Because that's a sacred place. Amen, honey? It's a sacred place. Because there's a, there's a depth of relationship that she has to have with me in order to sleep in that bed next to me and vice versa. God is this way. And we're in a time of season when almost it's, not, it's almost like where you can't even exist here anymore. Like he, it's not sustainable anymore. It's almost like the enemy is so loosed on the earth. He's almost allowed in these outer courts now. It's no longer safe out there. It's dark out there. If, if many of you, you don't even have to be a prophet to discern that the world is falling apart at its seams. And there's only one safe place. It's in the middle of God's will, not in his good or even acceptable. It's only safe in the perfect will of God. Why do you think the war, why we're, why this, there's a stirring in our hearts lately. Should I go all the way? Should I, should I really give it all? Should I really go after my relationship with Jesus? Oh, but this looks so good. This looks so appealing. Why do you think there's that war within you? There's a war. What are we at war with? We have the enemy on one hand and God on the other. And let me tell you something, just as much as God has a perfect will for your life, do not mistake that the enemy doesn't have a perfect will for your life. He has a perfect will. 
He has just the perfect relationship that he knows that will destroy you at the seams. He has a perfect job description for you right behind that bar, serving it up. He has a perfect will. And there's no safer place. It will cost you. It will cost you sacrifice, but it is always worth the cost. I would rather be in the will of God, sacrificing my life and end up with nothing what I thought because in here is peace and here is joy and here is contentment. And that's really what you're after. You're not after drugs. You're not after sexual fulfillment. It is the heart, the human heart that is looking for fulfillment. And it was not designed with anything. We were not designed for anything external to satisfy that deep, insatiable need. God put that there. God put those needs there. Why do you think it never satisfies? Why do you think you always have to need it, desire it, and pursue it? Only one satisfies. Only Jesus Christ satisfies and can satisfy the human heart. Nothing can. I've had financial goals that I've more than met. I remember some guy laughed at me. He said, what's your goals in life? I remember this is such a tragedy almost 20 years ago. I said, oh, just, you know, own a business and to have about $5,000 in savings. That was my goal. I thought like I would really feel good about that. But the problem with that, when it, when it is a thing, everybody say thing, things don't satisfy. What happens with the thing is the goalpost will continue to move because it begins to get 10,000, then 15,000. Oh, maybe it's when I get married. Oh, maybe when I become a missionary. Oh, maybe when I become a pastor. Oh, maybe when I, when I get really successful. Oh, maybe, maybe when, when, when I get all these certain likes, 100,000 likes on Facebook, none of it satisfies, only Jesus satisfies. Because when you get to 100, then it goes to two. And then most people exhaust themselves and exhaust their lives in constant pursuits of happiness. When happiness is fluctual, it goes up and down. But only Jesus offers true, lasting joy. Is everybody hearing what I'm saying? So we have have this two contrasting lives of Joseph and Absalom. I'm going to go through that. Is everybody okay? I just want to lay some groundwork and then I'm jumping over seats. No, I'm not going to jump over seats. It's okay. It's a safe church. Jumping over seats. So we got two. There's two different processes in the Lord. And I'm finding out as a leader, there's two different types of people. And there's really two different types of processes. Well, maybe three. There's three. But I'm going to simplify. You generally find people who are very genuine, who want to walk beside you, who really love Jesus and want to get to the will of God and will do anything to make sure it happens for their their lives and for the life they're walking next to. And then there are other people who are not there for you or for the will of God. They are there simply for themselves, for their own platform, to get what they want, to fulfill their own desire. It's true. The third person I was going to talk about was the person who has their own desires. Then they come along 
And then you start preaching in a way and leading in a way that uncovers that stuff. And if, if you're that person, the smartest thing you could do is surrender and say, you know what, that is not right. Let me surrender. Let me learn to die to self. Let me learn what it looks like to get to the will of God in a pure way. That was probably me. But we have these two contrasting stories, how to get to the will of God. And this right here is a perfect picture. We have Absalom who gets ostracized from his own father, David the king. Stay with me. David the king. And then he starts sabotaging because he's not getting his way. As a matter of fact, David brings him back into Jerusalem, but he won't let his own son stand before him. Because David's son Absalom killed his brother his very own brother. So king, his dad, is mad. You can't come into the king's courts anymore. He ostracizes them completely. And you know what he says to him? You can't even come in my court for two more years. So he lets him come back to Jerusalem, but he's not allowed in the house. Are you following me? Say in the house. Why did he do that? To test Absalom's character. Because timing. Why do you think I made some of y'all sit so long? Because timing tells things. You start sabotaging, it just goes to show you, you were never, you don't have the character for it. I know that's heaviness. Is that too heavy for them, Rick? A little, little too heavy? He's saying kind of like, he's saying no, but his eyes are saying yes. It is true. It is true. Sitting there, not being used, or staying in the will of God when he has you in tough seasons, what you do or what you don't do says everything about your character. God made me sit there and said, I'm going to call you to preach. I'm going to call you to minister. And I said, what's next? He said, sit. What was it doing? It was working a lot of that stuff out of me. A lot of stuff that I couldn't see. And that's exactly what God is doing in the life of, life of Joseph. Through what? Through betrayal of his brothers, his own family. Through imprisonment. Through being lied on. Through promises being made to him. Yes, I'm going to tell Pharaoh that I'm going to get you out of here. And then when they get released, they don't tell for two more years. There's a contrast there. You see that contrast? It dropped on me this morning. Absalom had to wait two years and then he started burning people's crops trying to get the attention of his dad, which he did. And the leader, David, responds to elevating him through his own son manipulating. Never, never, never. If you're a business owner, or even you have a friend who tries to manipulate you in order to get back in the circle, don't let him in. Don't let him in. Because four years later, you know what Absalom did? Tried to overthrow David. Because sitting has a way of working some things out of you. So we, we come to the life of Joseph. Say Joseph. This is a perfect picture on how to approach Jesus. How to approach the Lord and your relationship with him. Is everybody okay out there? Now, I want to I tell you, every single person who has been called by the Lord will be tested in two areas, most likely. Number one, disappointment. And the Lord will orchestrate the disappointment in your life, not because he doesn't love you, because he wants to test you. And most people are familiar with disappointment, so that doesn't get them, and that won't even move them. I use the test. God has used a test in my life. He used disappointment, but he will also use success. I know people currently, they're as holy as the holy dog of Tibet. 
You know what a Tibetan, I have a Tibetan terrier. They're called the holy dogs of Tibet. He won't even bark. They're only given as monk, uh, to monks as gifts. They're not sold in Tibet. I have one, Ollie. He's like 10. Is he 10, honey? 11. He's my buddy. He, he will not bark at you. you. If you knock on the door, he doesn't bark. It's like he is mute. He just wags his tail. He sneezes. That's about it. I have seen people, as long as you don't give them nothing, they will show up to every single prayer meeting. They will fast, shakaka, rakaba. I mean, they'll give to the poor. They will serve. Give them a nice paying job and they disappear. I'm like, what about the will of God? Like, what happened? God will test you because, listen, if Satan can't corrupt you, he'll crown you. And God will use that. God, God will give you things. He'll give you a blessing just to see what you do with it. He'll see it. Will you keep showing up? Will you keep, go to, will you keep going to church? I know I'm preaching to y'all right now. Will you, stay, will, you, will you stay and fulfill your commitments that you made to God, not to people? This is where you have to be careful. Are you committed to God or are you committed to people? God will send disappointments. Now watch this. Joseph's life started with success and then God rips the success from him and watches his reaction. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that loss? What are you going to do when you don't feel like you're usable to me anymore? You know you're getting older. Not you, honey. It's safer talking to you like that. <laughs> He's like my bodyguard. I need you to walk me out to the truck today. What will you do when I take a blessing away from you? Or what will you do when I give you a blessing? You know what I'm seeing in the body of Christ more than anything, more than ever? There, there is a movement happening. I call it the movement of purity and holiness. And it's so beautiful. And we're either going to get to walking with the Lord and surrender everything that we possibly can because what will suffer is our intimacy with him. That will suffer. I am seeing so many people, contemporaries of mine, Ken, people I love and adore, intoxicated by success intoxicated that's the only word I could use intoxication mesmerized by money or numbers or the amount of people I mean my God if the numbers of people that you have in your church signifies your success then Jesus was a failure all he had in this congregation was Peter, Peter James and John and two of them left John was only left at the foot of the cross See, that's too much. That's too much for y'all. You know what real success is in God's eyes? Will you do my will when nobody supports it? Will you do my will when nobody shows up? Will you do my will without accolades? Will you do my will when people aren't giving? Will you do my will even when you don't want to? Because God will sometimes give you the want and then take the want away to, just to see if you'll remain obedient. <laughs> That's way too heavy for y'all. God will strip you of that just to see. Because most Christians, 
myself included, base, our desi- base everything on our desires. Do we want to do it? Well, I don't want to do that. I'm sure Jesus didn't want to. But you know what his food, you know what his food was? The will of his father. God is looking for a generation who will not sell out. And their food is not applause. Their food is not success. Their food is to do the will of God. See, this kind of stuff don't get no likes. But this is where God is calling the body of Christ to. Obedience. Blind obedience. Blind sacrifice. I'll do it, Lord. Just tell me to do it. Tell me what to give and I'll give. Tell me what to sacrifice and I'll sacrifice. Tell me who to let go. What do I got to get away from? I just want to be in your perfect will, oh God. How many are in the room that want the will of God? So we've seen this whole contrasting story of Joseph and Absalom. And now we find ourselves at this, what we call, what do we call this? Come on, say it out loud. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. The labor. The labor. Everybody say the altar of sacrifice and the labor. The labor. This is our labor I stole from Josie. I wish I told you somebody gave it to me. No, this is the labor. Everybody say the labor. Now, I think I'm going to show you. It's a minute and a half video. I wasn't going to do this, but... Are we able to get that video ready? You can just keep the pads on. I want you to take a look at this 3D video of the tabernacle or tent of meeting. This is the brazen altar where they would sacrifice the lamb. This represents salvation. Everybody say salvation. The next item, this is the laver. This represents purification. Okay, so after salvation, there's purification. After you walk purely before the Lord, it gets you into what we call the holy place or what we would call the inner court. Is everybody with me? And inside the inner court, which is where we are here, that's the incense. But on my left, that's the lampstand. Say lampstand. That represents illumination, right? This is the, represents the body of Jesus Christ. This is the table of showbread. And of course, this represents the prayers of the saints. This is the table of incense. And then we have beyond that, this is called... The Ark of the Covenant, where the elements were in the broken tablets, Aaron's rod that budded, and manna. And this is where the priest would sprinkle the blood every year, once a year. That's good. So I'm going to say this one more time. Give me that shot of the picture. Everybody say, salvation. Watch this. Sanctification or purification. That's what we're going to talk about. So we got salvation. Purification identification the body and the blood of Jesus there's an identification that takes place where you become one with him 
illumination. That's the candlestick. I know Tamaki's loving this. Look at her head bobbing back there. So funny. Now this, invitation. Invitation into what? Prayer represents invitation into a deeper level of intimacy with Jesus. Now this, what is this? Where the glory of God dwelt, like a pillar of fire. What does this represent? Transformation. Are y'all with me? This is... This sums up, this beautiful prophetic picture is how we enter in to a deeper level of relationship with Jesus Christ. And you're like, how in the world is that? We are not bound by the Old Testament. I absolutely agree with you. I have to tell you, it is not religious steps that you have to take in order to have a relationship with Jesus. But this is a picture of how the believer's life should be governed. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And it starts with being saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ because of the cross of Calvary where the lamb was offered on the altar of sacrifice. The Bible says in John chapter 10, if a man comes in any other way, he's the same as a thief and a robber. Jesus said, I am the what? Door. If a stranger comes in or a robber comes in any other way, he is the same as a what? thief and a robber. There are as many people who start with salvation and they want to be the bishop to the nation and they go all around this. Forget all that. I'm just going right into the Holy of Holies. This is when you get weird and unbiblical. When you don't get through the process of sanctification. When you see, look, when movements pop up out of absolutely nowhere, I question it whether or not it's a weed because weeds pop up overnight. And I sit around and I watch. Is this, is this real deal? Because normally God doesn't just sprout somebody up overnight. They've been processed. That's too heavy for y'all. I know you want to be used right now, but you got to sit. I know you want to be a prophet, but you got to sit. Because there is a process. And you can't just go from the cross and then the next year you just want to be a voice to the whole nation. Because God's got some things in your life that you can't see that you need to get pure from. And what the priest would do... Is this all right? What the priest would do is after the sacrifice. What does that sacrifice mean? Let me make it practical. Rick says, I need to get a little practical with you. Sometimes God will call you to leave a relationship and sacrifice something. Sometimes God will ask you to leave a certain job or a certain calling that you called yourself to. God never called you to. And he will say, I need you. If you want to come closer, I need you to let that go. And I need it to die on the altar. Yes, it first and foremost represents the Lamb of God dying for your sins. Absolutely. But he requires something from you too. Oh no, you don't believe that? It's just Jesus did it all. Jesus paid it all. Yes, he absolutely did. But there is a price you will have to pay too. Let me preach. Let me loose, Lord. Let me loose on him. Jesus said, you must take up your cross. Why would you have to take up a cross? Jesus took his. Because he went identification. You must take up your cross and follow after me. Like I gave, Jesus saying, I gave you the example of the life you're supposed to live here on earth so that you can follow me into my perfect will. Even as Jesus fulfilled the perfect will of God for his heavenly father, you too and I too have to fulfill the perfect will of God. And it starts at that altar of sacrifice. 
But then if you want to go deeper, can we go deeper? This water, this laver, and by the way, all of these elements were marked with the blood of Jesus. So if you ever see people prophetic and funny carrying staffs and anointing oil like I carry up here, and they go anointing things, you ever seen that? Like anointing everything, the doorposts. I mean, when I buy new equipment for my company, I anoint it. Ask Joel. I lay hands on it. I consecrate it. You know where that came from? If you watched in that 3D video, you've seen blood on the corner of every single thing. They would take the blood from the lamb, and you even seen it on the corner of the laver, and they would lavish it, set it apart. Sanctification means to be set apart. Holy means set apart, consecrated. So it's not weird to consecrate your house and to pray, okay? This is where all that came from. When you put the blood on it, you're saying to the devil, you better pass over this. And they would consecrate it so the enemy could not touch it. It was holy. It was set apart. And so after, after you go through the process of salvation, Lord, I give my heart to you. Most people die in that. God forbid. God wants something deeper. He wants something much more richer. And what it, where it starts with, oh, let me just read this. Can I read this to you? Exodus 40, verses 1. Isn't it funny how we just read Genesis 40? I don't know. Genesis 40, Exodus 40. Maybe I'm just being weird. It says, then the, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, on the first day of the month, you shall set up the tabernacle. You could, you could leave the words up on the screen. The tent of meeting. And you shall put the ark in it. The ark of the testimony, which is the ark of the covenant. And partition off the ark with the veil. You shall bring in the table and arrange the things that are best, that are to be set in order. Excuse me. And you shall bring in the lampstand and light its lamps, you shall also set the altar of gold incense before the ark of testimony and put up the screen or the veil for the door of the tabernacle. Then you shall set the altar of burnt offering before the door, which is outside, say outside, in the tent of meeting. And you shall set the labor between the tabernacle of the meeting and the altar and put water in it. Everybody say water. Everything that you see on this tabernacle or this tent of meeting, it is a foreshadow. It's a temple. It's symbolic of what God's relationship with man looks like. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If you are, say amen. It is a foreshadow of the way that our hearts should be stewarded in our relationship with God, governed in our relationship with God. Salvation, then we get to this, what we call, it's like a cuss word in church these days, purification. Say purification. To, to say that we don't have to do anything more in our relationship with God is not only religious, it is error, error. If I came to you, honey, if I came to my wife, how many in here are in or have been in a relationship with a person of the opposite sex? You and Tony still together? Okay, you too. <laughs> I was just wondering. I mean, he's in the back. You're there. You didn't raise your hand. 
Tony, I think you're good. I think you just wore out on the keys. You're good. Being married or in covenant requires something from you. And it requires more than just going to the altar or just saying a sinner's prayer. I know that that greasy grace message is running like wildfire out there. But your relationship with Jesus, if you really want to go deep with him, will require something. It, like, like if, if it requires something. Something more than just paying the bills as a man and something more than just satisfying the physical need of a husband. It requires more. It requires love. It requires respect. It requires sacrifice. And it also, this, this thing represents purity. Like if, 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 I, if I weren't living, I doubt my wife would put up with me very much if I didn't live a pure lifestyle. She wouldn't want to stay married. She would probably still love me to a degree, but she might also wave by and open the front door. And this is, this is what most people think. They think they can cheat and put other things first and maintain a rich, deep relationship with the Lord. It requires purity. Oh, let me say this scripture right here. The Bible says, your, I think it says the same thing in your Bible. It's gotten me just being funny. Without holiness, without purity, without purity, no man will see the Lord. Yet you can't see. You can't see without the washing. What does this represent? How do we get washed, Jesus? Do you wash yourself? No. The labor represent how do we get into the inner court? Most people try to get in there, but they're not biblical. What does this represent? The word of God. Let me read the scripture to you. It says this. Is everybody enjoying this? Yes. Ephesians chapter 5, it just so happens that it's talking about a husband and a wife, but it is a picture. Say it's a picture. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives. She don't need respect. She needs love. Husbands, they could do without love. They just want respect. Tell them, men, where you at? Say amen if I'm telling the truth. Just respect me. Y'all are so faking right now. You don't care how good she cooks them chicken wings. If she disrespects you, you can say, save them chicken wings and give me some respect. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might what? that he might sanctify her and cleanse her. Now, how does he cleanse her? By the washing of the word of God. You know why most of the people struggle? Can't kick the addiction? They don't read the word of God. Daily, daily lead, lead, reading the word of God, drinking from the word of God, getting it into their spirit, man. When you don't start your day don't ever think, put the tabernacle back up on the screen for me. Do not ever think that you are going to get into the Holy of Holies. You're going to get somewhere, but you're not going to get into the Holy of Holies without getting the word of God in you. Because Jesus doesn't want to be external in your life. He wants to be, you know, Jesus, you know what? Oh, thank you, Holy Ghost. 
Jesus died to make himself more manifest in the believer's life. To get them saved, yes. You're like, what do you mean? I see you looking at me, Bryce. I got you. Jesus was in proximity. But Jesus, before he died, he says, I'm with you, but I'm going to be I'm with you, but I want to be in you. He wanted deeper intimacy, but he had to get past the cross. He had to get past the altar because he wanted to be in you. And how, so, so if you want to live holy, desire a pure lifestyle, this cannot be external. You have to get the word of God in you, in you. This is what gives you the strength to walk upright. This is what the word of God will bring conviction. How can you walk upright if there is no conviction? Because then you develop a taste. When you get the word of God, first of all, it's informational, but then it becomes transformational. It gets in you. So I don't have to worry about turning my head twice anymore. I don't, I'm not knocking anybody, but... You don't have to worry about that stuff. If, if you're a wife who has an issue with this or whatever it might be, because some of you don't have a problem with, you know, you're not angry. You don't, you don't have an issue with washing dishes or being a good housemaker or none of that stuff, but you gossip. You might not stay long anyway. You get the word of God in you. You got to get the word of God in you. You won't talk about people when you get the word of God on the inside of you. It will be distasteful when it comes out of your mouth. You'll be like, oh, I can't do that. I just felt the Holy Spirit grieved. I can't say that about her. I'm not going to talk about the worship team like that. No more. I, I can't do that. I can't because now I'm realizing I'm touching God's anointed. I'm not going to talk about my boss even though. Uh, because the word will make you see people the way that Jesus sees them. Because he's not on the outside of you. He's on the, ah, he's on the inside. You okay, Rick? Do you need to get the cage? You know why? You know why your kids act like that? Because they hear about Jesus but they don't see him. They don't see him. This is where we got to get convicted. Ask my wife. I repent daily. Daily. Yesterday, there was fussing. My daughter and her, and we were doing a little fussing, and I said, we just said, stop, and we were all irritated, and we said, I mean, we were mad when we said this. Let's forgive each other. Didn't we? It's getting, it's kind of hilarious if you watch the way we do this. It's so funny. We're like mad, wanting to rip each other to shreds. And we're like, we have to forgive. We're letting the devil in. Say sorry to her. Say sorry to her. And then we all just, we're so sorry. We're so sorry. Why do we do that? Because when, when, be, be careful of losing your sensitivity. I caution you. I let this be my temperature, my barometer now. I do. 
when, this, when I feel the urge to talk about somebody or I feel the urge to let up on reading the word of God, I already know. When I feel that little drift, I don't wait too long. I, do, I will not wait too long. Do not wait too long. You wait too long, step by step by step. One day you don't use this word. What happens when the water is not stirred? It gets stagnant. It starts getting mildew. And the longer you wait, the harder it is to get back into relationship with Jesus. With Jesus. Is this okay, guys? Is this landing home for some of you? I know it's strong. I know it's strong. But listen, can I tell you something? I started out wanting a church for just people to show up and be encouraged. But you know what I really want for all of you? I I really, I genuinely want you to be close to the Lord. More than anything. I would give my very life to see people have a deep, rich relationship with Jesus and do more than just talk about it or to tell somebody what church you go to. I want when you get out there, oh, there's something about her. And it's not because she's wearing the right outfit. Oh, there's something about him. And it's not just because of the truck he drives. There's something on the inside of you. There's something that will change an atmosphere when you walk into it. And it is your life, your consecrated life. I want a church that dwells not here, not even here, but we are in here with him because that's where transformation begins to take place. Amen? Amen. All right. Hallelujah. Ah, Jesus. I'm having so much fun with this. You know, I got this all just this morning. I even rushed in. I was in, my, I was in the office and I said, you know, I thought to myself, oh, we should use this thing as the laver. It kind of looks like a laver. It all just dropped on me. You know what else this represents? Oh, this is all just a foreshadow. Do you even know the way that the, the elements are set up in the form of a cross? Did you know that? Is there another picture that kind of depicts it? Now watch this. All of these, there's, there's, there's seven pieces. Everybody say altar of sacrifice, the laver. Now watch this. Table of shoe bread or show bread on the right, far right. And this is the lampstand on the far left. In the middle, this is the altar of, there you go the altar of incense. And then we have the Ark of the Covenant. Now, these two items are the only ones that are not in a uniform line. The cross in the Old Testament. Now, give me the laver. Give me the other shot. This represents baptism. Repent, John said, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Salvation. The kingdom. John preached the kingdom of God is near. He preached repentance. That's what the Bible says. He preached repentance. 
after repentance, what did he say? Be ye be baptized that your sins might be forgiven. The laver represents purification from what? What does is, what is, what is baptism represent? The dying of the old man. The severing of an old life. And what does that do? It don't stop there. He gave this all to me this morning. God is so good. Didn't even have to think about it. Thank you, Jesus. Not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit. Salvation. Purification. This is what brings you in. Now, everybody, can you stand to your feet? I want to read you something. I want to read you something. I get excited when God speaks. This is the process. He brings you to the altar. You sacrifice your life. That is the first step. If you have not sacrificed your life and given it all up, say everything, you cannot hold one thing back. He doesn't do bargains. He doesn't do bargains. Your life, but it's a good exchange for his life, that the life of Christ may dwell in our hearts richly by faith. But then we go to the labor. Now, now watch this. I was just sitting minding my own business and a scripture came to my mind. Now this is symbolic of ceremonial washing. Ceremony. Ritual. God doesn't want us to go through the rhetoric of rituals. This is a picture of the way the heart should be governed. Like, like every time you have unforgiveness, don't, don't come up to 430 Wymore Road and look for this labor to wash yourself. You ask, Jesus, would you wash me? Wash me by your precious blood. That's what you do. God, forgive me. Forgive me for offending your Holy Spirit. Forgive me for grieving you. Forgive me for talking about that person. Forgive me, Lord. Lord, I shouldn't have watched that. God, forgive me. Forgive me for how I treated my child. That is a life of pure ceremonial washing in the kingdom of God. Every time your conscience is seared, you, you bring your heart to the labor and get in the word of God. Forgive me, Lord, that I wasn't convicted when I did that. Get the word of God back in you so you, that you won't end up in that place again. Are you following me, church? Now watch this. Because what people do externally is not as important as what God sees. It's what people don't see that concerns God the most. As a matter of fact, our walk with him privately is what matters most. Now, I want to read this to you. Oh, this was so beautiful, this picture between Jesus and his disciples. In John chapter 13, starting at verse 1, and I'm done. It says, now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to who? The Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended and the devil already having put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that his father had given all things into his hand and that he was 
come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. And after that, he put water into a laver. Everybody say a basin or a laver. And he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel which he had girded himself. And then he came to Simon Peter and Peter, Peter understood the ceremonial washing, obviously, because Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing to you now, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Why would he know after this? Because after the Holy Spirit filled his life, he would understand. Are you tracking me? Peter said unto him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus said to him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said unto him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean. But not all of you. He was talking about not all of his, he wasn't talking about his body. He was talking about the disciples. He was talking about Judas. Now, why would Jesus say that? Here's what I got. Are you ready? Say, I'm ready. Most people you're around, this is all they see. Hands represent the work of your hands. You come to church, you do all the right things. It's external, external. You can look spiritual and not be spiritual. You can look holy and privately be as mean as a junkyard dog. All the external stuff, they see my hands. I live a clean life. But God sees the feet. He knows my sitting up, my rising up and my sitting down. God doesn't care about what you show people anymore. He cares about the hidden stuff. He's most concerned with your walk. Your walk. That's why he said all the other stuff, don't even worry about that. Because when your walk is right, when your walk is right, everything else falls in order. So my question to you is not whether or not God, can we put that, the tabernacle up on the screen, please, as I close? I'm not concerned whether you, I mean, I am, if you are unsaved, I am definitely concerned whether you're saved, but I'm talking to saved people at this very moment. How many saved people are in the room? I need to look again. Who didn't raise their hand? Most of us in here are saved. I know most of your faces. And I think we can see that. What I want to ask you this morning, I want to ask you to go here 
with Jesus and to be committed to the process of, like Joseph was committed to the process, when people lied on him, cheated on him, he was still surrendered to the process. 13 years of a process of abuse and betrayal and ostracism. I'm asking you, give me that other picture one last time. I'm asking you to go here. But in order to do that, you have to make sure your walk is right. You have to make sure that the things that are hidden, that people can't see, the inward parts of your heart are right with God and with people. And here's the thing, it doesn't matter how people treat you or try to affect you. You don't get to change that. You can only change the way that you feel. And you say, no, I can't. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Do you know how I know you can? Watch this, Jane. When, when, when at the end, when Joseph comes into power, now he all of a sudden went from betrayal, ostracism, the pit, serving Potiphar, in jail and prison for years. Now he's the second most powerful man in all of Egypt, the world's power. And at the very end, he comes, his brothers come to him and he shows himself who he really is. And you know what he says to them? All that stuff you did to me, God did that. You, you're not, you didn't do that. God did that. He got to determine how he felt. That is, the, that is the most wicked plot of the enemy. They make you think that I can't help how I feel. He said, God did that. What you meant for evil, God meant for my good. Listen to me. Every, listen, take care of your walk. Take care of your walk. What people can't see. Steward that heart in such a way. If they hurt you, see that as the Lord. Oh, the Lord just wants to make sure. I am reminded that my life doesn't consist on the acceptance of people. Excuse me one minute. I got to get back to this. You betrayed me. You cheated on me. You talked about me. You hurt my child. You didn't pay me back. You exhaust me. Excuse me. I got to get busy. Thank you for reminding me that he's the only one that doesn't fail. Take care of your walk. I know I'm being funny and a little dramatic, but I really feel that this is the word of God. This is the word of God. And this is what God is saying to his people. Purify your hearts. Rend your hearts, not your garments. Who read that this morning? Somebody read that this morning in the leadership. Rend your heart and not your garments. Lift your hands if you can. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.